0: Don's fans, and welcome to the round 13 edition of Don the Stat. Essendon played their get-out-of-jail-free card on Sunday, a late Massimo D'Ambrosio goal giving us a six-point win over North Melbourne. The win sees us go to seven and five and up to six position on the ladder. The old foe in Carlton awaits on Sunday night at the MCG in a game that could propel us towards the top four and put the final nail in Carlton's 2023. I'm Jonathan Walsh and to chat through it all, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume. Hume, mate, how's things? Hey, Jono, look, things are really good here. and There's no better time of year
1: when it's the middle of footy season and we're also getting primetime test cricket from the old country and seeing the Australians give it to the Indians, um, it's been pretty good so far. And then hopefully SNN will continue to make
0: it a really good weekend on Sunday night. How are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. It is the best of both worlds at the moment. Not great for my uh, insomnia, but um, certainly great for my sport addiction. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed having some test cricket to watch. Last night, and I'll be straight to the tally as soon as we're done here. Yeah. Well, look, before we get into
1: tonight's show, just a few uh, little messages. Firstly, once again, thanks to Alex Fair for joining me on bonus episode 10 to talk Tasmanian. Footy been really good response from listeners to that. Uh, And obviously, we're heading up to the bye week, and we've got a few things planned for that. Uh, We're lucky enough to have Robert Shaw back uh, to share his thoughts about uh, how the Bombers are going since he last was on the show in round five. So I think people are really looking forward to that. That's probably been our episode that's had the biggest response. So hopefully we get something similar this time around. Uh, We've also been asking on Twitter for listener questions uh, that we'll cover through the mid-season and we'll be starting covering some of those tonight. Uh, And finally, we have a live Patreon Q&A over Zoom that will be taking place next Thursday, the 15th of June at 8pm Australian Eastern Time. Uh, It is exclusive to Patreon, so if you would like to take part in that, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Uh, The link will be in the description of this episode. Well, look, let's move on. And as always, we'll start by looking at last week's nail biting win uh, over North Melbourne. Uh, We'll go through our pre-match thoughts and then consider some of the broader points to come out of the match. So the first thing that we figured we needed to make the most of was our inside 50 opportunities. Uh, So we had 59 inside 50s for the match, which was quite high for us this season, but we only went at 47.5% efficiency, and that was well down on our season average of of 50.7. And that's also despite taking 19 marks inside 50, which was our highest result for the season. So basically, if we weren't marking, we were actually finding it fairly difficult to create scoring opportunities uh, as opposed to previous weeks.
0: Yeah, it's the most inside 50s we've had since round four this season. So, uh, yeah, it's been a little while since we've had you know 59 or, or or been up and around that number. So I guess that's, that's the positive in it. It's also the first time since round five we've won the inside 50 count. So uh, another positive there. I think we also had five missed shots for the game, mate. Um, so that that certainly didn't help our efficiency. And, and you know, it, it looked really good early, didn't it? We had the first six inside 50s of the game and we were able to hit up those those targets between sort of 40 to 45 metres out from goal that has become a bit of a feature about game and our ball movement so far this season. So we probably should have been further ahead at quarter time. Uh, you know, had we we made a little bit more use of some of those opportunities, I thought we burnt a few chances and then we we lost our way you know, sort of from Second quarter through to about halfway through the third quarter, North did a much better job of filling that space in our Ford 50 and, and we just gave the ball back a bit too easily. And, and I think also our intensity just around the contest dropped away for, for a fair period of that game, which kind of limited our ability to get the ball inside 50 with a little bit of space. Yeah, and we'll
1: cover that second quarter in a bit more detail uh, after we go through our talking points. But our second point heading into the game was to restrict Simpkin and to work over Goldstein. And then, obviously, Simpkin was knocked out early in the second quarter and then later on Greenwood uh, was also uh, knocked out and was unable to finish the match. Uh, so when you take that out, those two out, uh, and you add to that the absence of Luke Davies, Uniyaki, and Ben Cuttington, who admittedly is, is dropped, you're missing four of their best clearance midfielders. Even then, you know, despite that, uh, North was still able to win centre clearances 10 to 18, and that's after being down in the first quarter. So, you know, for us, fortunately, they didn't get a huge scoreboard advantage from this. They only scored two behinds from centre bounce. So despite those absences, and they also lost uh, stoppage clearances 22 to 28, um, and that's actually the second time this season Essendon's gone into a match against the leading stoppage clearance side has actually managed to beat them at that metric. Uh, North managed to score 44 points from stoppage, and that's the second most Essendon has conceded this year after the Geelong game.
0: Yeah, it was uh, not the way that that maybe the the numbers suggested the might, the game might play out. It, it it would have suggested that North would have done a reasonable job scoring from stoppages, but also that they were going to probably win them. But yeah, injuries to Simpkin and Greenwood probably didn't help their cause there. Uh, so yeah, it's pleasing that we were able to to win stoppages. Not so pleasing. That we allowed North to score 44 points from them. We did score 40, uh, sorry, 31 points ourselves. So th- that's the most we've scored from stoppages in a game this year. So th- there wasn't a lot of defense happening um, at stoppages. And a lot of those stoppage scores were from forward 50 stoppages. North kicked four goals straight from stoppages in their forward line. We kicked three goals, one. So I think in, in our case, it was a bigger problem for the. Positioning of our defenders and the and the concentration of our defenders, I thought, was really lacking. Redmond himself gave up two goals at stoppages where he just switched off. So I think our midfielders were got probably got a pass mark, but but the work that our defenders did around stoppages um, in our in our back fifty was um, a bit of a letdown. Just want to quickly touch on all the talk of North's young midfielder. I think uh, what's been forgotten a little bit in this is. They had a Ruckman playing his 306th game in Goldstein. So, you know, they had a really, really experienced Ruckman. Our number one Ruck um, in Draper was playing his 55th game. So there's a big difference there. Will Phillips, he's 22. He was their number one centre-bounce midfielder. Liam Shields, who's 32 years old and played 266 games, he was number two. Our top two was Zach Merritt, who Shields obviously spent a fair bit of time playing on. Um, he's he's 27 and played 195 games. And then we had a 22-year-old ourselves in Jai Caldwell, So and he went head-to-head a fair bit of the game with Phillips. So, you know, experience on experience and 22-year-old on a 22-year-old they had um a teenager in george wardlaw next to you know it was really really impressive and and i think even the the um uh the most biased of Essendon fans would be prepared to acknowledge the game that he played. But uh, and then they also had Taron Thomas at 23 years of age and they were their next two. We had Jake Stringer and then our own teenager in Ben Hop. So, you know, one teenager apiece in there. Greenwood and Simpkin, despite going off, were uh injured, were next for them, and then Sheil and Perkins for us. So yeah, Phillips and Waldworth for them were really impressive. But we had some young midfielders who stood up for us too, and and as well as Nick Martin, who played, you know, half forward early and then most of the game on the wing. So uh, yeah, we, we weren't without our own young, impressive midfielders who had a, a, a fairly decent influence on the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our next point was that we would
1: want to make sure that we could use Langford to expose North's backline. He had a, a lot of skills that North would f- struggle to cover, and he did though. He kicked four goals, and he probably should have kicked a couple of more. He dropped a couple of marks uh, in kickable Uh, spots that he otherwise usually would take. And, you know, if you extrapolate what he's accomplished so far out for a full season, he's on track for a 46-goal season. And uh, as I said on Twitter earlier this week, you have to go back to James Hurd in 1995 to see a a mid-sized forward for Essendon with the same level of goal-scoring impact. So if he continues that form, um, you know, we're looking at something pretty special for, for an Essendon player of his size to accomplish.
0: Yeah, he's now seventh in the AFL for Mark's Inside 50, which is uh, a pretty impressive achievement given that, uh, I mean, granted there were a few teams who had a bye last week, so haven't played yet, but, uh, you know, he played – out of the back line for the first game of the season and and been back there at at various times throughout. So for him to do that, and and that's normally something you associate with big key forwards. Um, So for him to do it at, uh, I think he's 191 or 192 centimeters. uh, He's doing that through footy smarts and and finding space and and being able to lead into, uh, you know, small spaces. So uh, real credit to him for that. And 24 goals so far this season, it's, almost double his previous output uh, or best output, which was 15 goals in 2019. And he's kicked more goals this year than he did in the 26 games he played across 2021 and 2022 combined. So, you know, I know he's been moved around a fair bit and played wing and midfield and, and the like in those years, but yeah, he, his output so far uh, purely from um, uh, goals, but also goals, goal assists and, and contributing to our scoreboard results has been outstanding.
1: Yeah, well, as we'll get to later, there's a a certain player coming back that may change the dynamics of that forward line. It'll be interesting to see how Langford fits in once that player gets up and running. Finally, we had a few uh, KPIs that we really wanted to keep an eye on. I'll just run through those in turn. So the first was to win contested ball, and we ended up losing contested possession 129 to 140, and that's after winning it. Uh, in the opening quarter, 33 to 26. And then, if you even go to the final quarter, uh, even though uh, we managed to run out the game winners, North won that stat by 10. So, yeah, they ran out stronger in that area. Uh, looking at stoppage clearance, uh, I've already mentioned it. Um, stoppage clearance was statistically really good for Essendon, winning at 28 22. Although, again, looking at the final quarter, it was lost 9 to 12 in that situation. Um, Inside 50 tackles was 16-9, to and that's the equal best result for Essendon this year to go with what we saw in the Richmond game. So the last few weeks have really seen an uptick in our inside 50 tackles, although that may have some some correlation with the quality of opposition we've been playing in in the last few weeks. But if you average out the last four weeks, you get an average of 12.5 inside 50 tackles a game. And if that was something we could uh, do over an entire season, that would put us equal third this year. Um, with that number, so really pleasing stats there. And then finally, generating scores from forward half turnovers. And we scored 39 points from forward half turnovers this game, which was our highest for the season. Um, and five of those goals came from inside for our forward 50 turnover, and that was the most uh, we've got this season. Before that, it was the four goals we generated against Hawthorne from that zone.
0: Yeah, I think besides the last quarter, which was a bit more of an arm wrestle, sort of went a little bit goal for goal, particularly late, Uh, I I think as a general rule, it was just a real momentum-based game. Uh, The team that was able to win contested ball and win clearance was able to get territory and then to score so you know when when we were doing it obviously we were scoring and then when when north melbourne were winning contest and clearance they they were able to do the same so i, I think there's some pleasing things there um inside 50 tackles were were up which is great forward half turnovers you know which those inside 50 uh, tackles contributed to uh, allowed us to score from that part of the ground, and was a better profile of of scoring from from forward half turnovers than we've seen in the past. Uh, but some some challenges that we had in in being able to defend against stoppages and the like. So uh, yeah, I, I think close game, but um, and we were you know reasonably lucky to get away with the win. But um, there was some still some good in it if we uh, if we dig a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: look, let's let's dig a bit deeper into a couple of
1: areas. And the first is that second quarter, obviously a really strong start in in the first quarter. And, it, you know, it felt like the game was slipping out of Norse grasp. And then the second quarter happened and, and the game was basically back on parity by halftime. What, what did you notice had changed there between the first and the second quarters that led to sort of that shift in, in the way the game was
0: being played? Yeah, I think my memory is correct. It was six goals to three at quarter time. And the way the first quarter was played it probably felt like it should have been 7 or 8 goals to 2 like we I felt the game felt like it was played in a manner that that we really really dominated and probably should have been further ahead and and I wonder whether that sort of uh, got into the psyche of the players a little bit and maybe there was a little bit of an element of cue in the rack thinking that that we we're sort of just going to roll over the top of them. Uh, and and maybe that was the the pattern that happened the week before, wasn't it? You know, where we just won each quarter against West Coast by two or three goals and kept building a lead without really needing to change too much about what we did. Um, but North adjusted really well after quarter time. They got extra numbers behind the ball. Uh, Goldstein went back and, and filled up some space. They did a much better job of filling that space between, you know, sort of 35, 40 metres to to 50 meters out from goal, and and forced us to look for alternative options, and and the only ones in that second quarter that were really able to hit those kicks were Martin and and Perkins and um, uh, Merritt got sort of better held by Shield in the second quarter, so or Shields, sorry, I should say. Uh, but when it was our lesser kicks who who didn't have the finishing quality, we we tended to give the ball back. So yeah, I think the other thing that happened, made North kicked the first two points of the game. But then we had the next two chances, and um, and uh, you know if you remember, Shield took the mark inside fifty, and he handballed the ball to Ridley instead of having a set shot, and Ridley's shot just missed. And then Wiedemann had uh, took the mark and and missed everything, and, and didn't even score. Goldstein, I think it was, who marked it on the line, and and they then went up the other end, and um, and we did win the ball back, but Perkins. Uh, you know sort of turn the ball over at half back he, he kicked the ball out for Durham and, and the ball hung a little bit and it ended up with Coleman Jones taking a mark and kicking a goal so uh, you know even despite burning some chances in the first quarter we still had an opportunity to go four or five goals up uh, you know sort of five or six minutes into the second term um, but North got that first goal and got it back to two goals and then you know, Wiedemann dropped a mark that he should have taken and we missed another opportunity to kick a goal. And then, um, you yeah, know, we, we just sort of lost our way, started to bomb the ball a little bit and, and gave it back to them. Uh, we kicked a point. Snelling lost his his spot in the zone and North Melbourne were able to use that to get a chain from one end to the other to to kick a goal. So I think North just adjusted. They uh, We weren't as switched on as as we should have been across the board. And, and I think that's modern footy too, isn't it? I think anyone can beat anyone if they're not 100% switched on. And and I think that was just the case for us. North, North applied themselves a bit better than we did. Yeah. Well, I just sort of thinking about the game more generally and, you know, we've only
1: ended up beating the, the 17th side by a goal in the in the last couple of minutes. Is, is is that something you're concerned about as an overall performance about where we're heading, even though it was
0: in the end a win? You we're know, we're 7 and 5 and and 6th on the the ladder so i think you take the season over totality instead of um uh, you know just taking it one game um so i'm not i'm not concerned at all as to what it means for us overall and and our progression and improvement i'm a little bit concerned about what it means for this week i, I think some of our younger players are showing some signs that they need a bit of a break and Um, you know they've had to carry a a pretty heavy workload at times you know we're we're asking a lot of our young midfielders we're we're playing the likes of Perkins and Martin at times uh, or Martin and Durham on the wing Perkins in that really difficult half high half forward role so we're asking a lot of young players and and it's been a a pretty big uh, start to the season so I'm a little bit worried that that maybe we do need the rest but I think the other thing at it looked to me mate that we were trying to press higher up the ground than what we had been in previous weeks so uh, you know maybe there's a, another layer of of our game plan that was was added or tinkered with this week and and that worked in terms of creating scoring opportunities but it left us vulnerable down the back those those goals that North kicked in the first quarter we scored generally because we were we were pressing up the ground and able to win the ball back but when North got it over we were a little bit um, exposed so you know that that's a developing team that that's a coach who's trying to to change and improve our game style uh and and with risk comes or yeah with that level of of risk comes high reward but also the the risk that that um you can be scored on the other way so I, I think overall mate winning ugly is better than losing and and we found a way um yeah you know, to to get the job done I thought Caldwell, D'Ambrosio, you know, Caldwell, D'Ambrosio, Merritt and Guelphie had six disposals each in the last quarter. That was equal most for us. Hobbs and Martin had five. So you got Caldwell, D'Ambrosio, Hobbs and Martin in there who are young players really stepping up under the pressure of the last quarter where we're trying to, to squeeze out a win. Uh, and then also a few of our leaders did. I thought Stringer's work weight was really, really good throughout the game, um, but particularly in the dying moments, he he was huge. He, you know, he, he didn't get necessarily kicks and marks and handballs and goals like we normally see Jake Stringer, the match winner, but it was through pressure and, and multiple efforts. And, and that's a big change for him. It would have been nice to, to see a genuine four quarter performance. And particularly as someone like me, who who does genuinely believe in the Essendon North Melbourne rivalry and, and quite enjoys beating up on them, but yeah, I, I think hopefully the, the lesson is that, that we now realise that if we drop off in our concentration levels like we did in the second quarter and the early part of that third that um, that we're going to make it harder for ourselves and, and we become very, very beatable. So, yeah, take that lesson out of it and and, and take the positives and, and then find ways to continue to improve.
1: Yeah, as you said, I think get through this week hopefully with another win and, and get to the buy and, and then have that chance to, to reset and, and reassess what needs to happen moving forward. Well, look, as I said earlier in the show, uh, I did ask for questions from listeners uh, on Twitter uh, in preparation for the mid-season episodes. And uh, the response was overwhelming with what people wanted to get our opinions on. Um, And there's, there's far too many questions to get through in one episode. So we thought that we should try and get through a couple tonight. Um, and then dive into them a bit more deeply over the next uh, couple of episodes that we're putting out during the bye. Uh, each of us has picked one to focus on this week, and I've chosen one from Silvertop Hurley. And he asks um, about something that Zach, spoke, Zach Merritt spoke about uh, in the aftermath uh, of, I think it was the North game, wanting the Essendon to play a forward half game, um, which seems to be the plan, but not necessarily output. Yet, and what have we done well in this regard, and, and what do we need to do more or better to Im- improve in in this area? And I thought the best place to start was to look at the scores in that area of the ground. And when we're looking, we're talking about our forward 50, and so I'll refer to it as Essendon's forward 50 or our opponent's defensive 50 uh, going forward. So let's start with some things we've we've done well in that forward half game. So last year across the season, we gave up 30 scores from kick-ins, and that was 1.36 a game. Uh, Twelve games into this season, we've given up thirteen, which, which is one point oh eight. So our structures at, at setup, when we, when we have opportunity to set up in that forward half, have really uh, done a lot better job at restricting scoring in that area. So that's that's a positive in terms of playing a forward half game. Uh, if we look at uh, scores from defensive fifty turnover, so then again we're talking about um, our opposition generating. Uh, turnovers in their defensive 50 um, last this year so far oppositions have had 32 scores generated from turnovers in our forward 50 in their defensive 50 and that's 2.67 a game uh, and that's down from 3.68 per game in 2022 so we're getting scored against from turnovers in our own forward 50 a whole one time per game less um, so if you want to hear that in what's in a more impressive number um, scores against from defensive 50 turnover are down 28% from last year. And that's the opposition's defensive 50. So in terms of defending scores generated from our own forward 50, we've shown definite signs of improvement. And that comes down as much to structure as anything. And I think the thing to reflect on with that is though, um, we're not necessarily generating scoring opportunities from from that part of the ground. So um, in fact, those stats have dropped off from where we were last year. So, scores from stoppage in our forward 50 last year was 2.31 per game, and that's down to 2.17. And scores from turnover have dropped from 3.91 to 3.25. So, I thought I'd have a bit of a look into what could be causing that. And my first thought was that our inside 50 pressure is down, um, meaning the number of scores leading to the number of scores being down. And, you know, I think if you think back to last year, obviously we didn't have have Tipper – There And we didn't have a whole lot of depth in that era, but we did have Guelphie who had a career best year in that role last year, who's been absent for a large chunk of this year. And our forward 50 small players that you would expect to put that pressure on have been players like Davey and Menzi who've been establishing themselves. But if you look at the numbers, our inside 50 tackle numbers are up on last year from 9.3 to 10.7. So that's not really the cause of the drop off of scores there. But I think the big thing that's caused a drop-off in scores from that area is is how we're looking to defend the ground. Uh, So last year, for the most of the year, we were trying to play a much higher press than we are this year. Um, So whilst that was good at generating forward 50 scores, because we weren't as consistent at maintaining those zones and that structure, it was very easy for our opposition to to score against us uh, when we were trying to set up that that forward press zone. This year, we've stretched our defence further back down the ground. Um, so overall, that's made it more difficult to score against, but it's also made locking the ball in and generating scores in our forward half more difficult. And most of the improvement in our scoring has come from the scores we've generated from our back 50, um, if you look at the numbers there. As you mentioned earlier, it does seem we've tweaked our game somewhat to play a much higher press. So we saw that against North, uh, spoke, spoke about how we generated uh, five scores from inside 50 turnover, uh, last week, which was our highest for the season. And so, overall, if you if you count all sources in outside our forward 50, we generated 10 scores, and, and that's our best for the season. The next best was uh, against Collingwood and Hawthorne with seven each. Um, and we didn't necessarily get caught out of, with it either against North. Um, they only generated three scores from their defensive 50. Um, so, it's going to be interesting to see if we're able to keep this up with a, a forward half game plan, especially as we, we start to play some uh, more challenging sides.
0: Yeah, I I, I think we, we probably need to see how it, it unfolds over the course of the the season. Comparing, you know, a, a half a year to a full year can be a little bit difficult. But uh yeah, I, I think the other thing that that is a real indicator of, of how you're defending and, and your forward half game is the number of turnovers that you create in the middle part of the ground. Um and you know, it's an indicator of your ability to press up the ground and win the ball back closer to your own goal and and you know, to the end of round five, we were eighth in the AFL, averaging thirty point two a game. So I, I think there's an indication there in the early part of the season, even whilst we were definitely uh, making an effort to to solidify our back six and and roll back and make sure that we weren't exposing ourselves there, that we were still applying a, a decent level of pressure in the middle of the ground or inside our forward fifty and 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 setting up higher up the ground and trying to win the goal, the ball back closer to our goal. But, We then hit the harder part of our fixture and those numbers started to drop so by round seven we were 15th and by round nine we were 16th and and we've as i uh, sort of touched on a little bit um you know in in a moment we've played a bit more of a possession-based game since then and and whilst the last three weeks our totals have been better we we ranked 17th at the moment to the end of round 12. the other thing, though, is there's not a huge deviation in this metric. St. Kilda ranked first at 32.9, and West Coast last on 25.3. We're at 26.8. So, you know, the first five weeks of the season at 30.2, we were pretty close to, to the where the best are at, at the moment in St. Kilda, and then you know, more recently, we, we've obviously been down towards the bottom and, and and it's taken a little bit of hiding and the numbers have improved a little bit over the last couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how that does evolve over the, the course of the year. Yeah. And that possession-based game you mentioned, that really segues nice into the question that you wanted to talk about that you got from one of our listeners. It does, mate. Daniel Hoyne from Champion Data made a comment on SEN earlier in the week on on his segment on there and I'll quote it directly. He said 142, 116 and 104 uncontested marks three weeks in a row has helped that defensive profile of Essendon. There's a few red flags here. We haven't really seen an uncontested mark game have success except for West Coast in 2018. That then prompted Lil's Max seventy two on Twitter to ask what my thoughts were and and what the risks are of that type of game. I think. Uh, I- the risk is pretty obvious. The, the more you possess the ball, the more likely you are to give it back to the opposition. I think there's an old adage in football that if you have it, they don't, that probably doesn't hold true anymore. I think the game's move past that. Uh, high mar- numbers of uncontested marks generally means that you have high numbers of short kicks and that you're generally inviting the opposition to press up on you and, and, and you're not able to take too much forward territory. What I will say is, and I, I don't have the data to to support this part, which is a little bit unfortunate, but so this is the eye test, is that at the very least, it appears to me that our imperative is to get the ball forward. We typically only kick sideways if it allows us to get into the corridor or to switch. um so we're we're only ever going sideways if it's to to ultimately be able to go forwards. Rarely do you see us go backwards, and and more often than not, it is a short kick forwards, and and that's an important distinction because you, you normally, as I said, associate short kicking with slow ball movement and and lack of direction, and, and I don't think we suffer from that. But let's dig a little bit into the data, mate. So Essendon averages 92.6 uncontested marks a game, which is ranked number two in the AFL. St Kilda is ranked first at 93.8. The other teams in the top five are Carlton, who we played – this week at 87.5, then Hawthorne at 84, Brisbane 83.7. And then it drops down a little bit. The the Bulldogs uh, average 82.6, Fremantle 80.5, they're ranked sixth and seventh. So I think firstly, anyone who has watched Essendon and Carlton play uh, at all this year can see the difference in the abilities of, of the way that we move the ball through uncontested marks compared to, to Carlton. And I, I think, if you look at the, the top seven for uncontested marks, we have four teams in the top seven of the ladder, but Brisbane are the only team that are in the top four. So it suggests that that the best teams aren't playing that style of footy. Down the other end, you have Melbourne with 74.3 uncontested marks and Port with 71.4. they rank 17 and, and 18. So, so Port are having, what's that, 21 less uncontested marks a game than we are. Uh, and and obviously those teams are at third and second on the ladder Collingwood's sort of somewhere in the middle they average 78.1 and rank 11th for uncontested marks so it suggests that the best teams are, are much more direct with the ball than than we have been yeah well look those are the broad stats though what
1: happens when you take a closer look at what's been happening week to week and consider particular matchups
0: yeah rounds one to eight we've averaged 82.5 uncontested marks a game, it's up to 113 a game over the past four games. So that's dragged our overall season average up quite substantially. Across the first eight games, our uncontested mark profile was not too dissimilar to Brisbane and Collingwood really. It's sort of somewhere in between those two. Our four uncontested or lowest uncontested mark counts this season were 59 against Collingwood, 66 against Ports, 72 against Geelong, and uh, s- same against GWS. So the uncontested mark differentials in that game were minus 42, minus 13, minus 17, and, and minus 28. So so our opposition got more uncontested marks in each of those games than we did. And in each of those games, our opposition went well above their season average. So so Collingwood were plus 23 on Anzac Day for uncontested marks compared to their season average. Port were plus 8, Geelong plus 10, and the Giants were plus 24. So I think there's an argument to be made here that if teams take our uncontested marking game away from us, so they, they close down space, close down short options, then, then we struggle. Although counteract that a little bit against Geelong, we scored over 100 points. Uh, we we did beat the Giants and, and we should have probably beaten them by a lot more. We kicked a lot of behinds, particularly in the first quarter. And, uh, you know, arguably could have, should have, but didn't beat Collingwood and Port Adelaide. So it's not like we were those teams shut it down and blew us out of the water. The GWS game is the only game so far this year where we've lost the uncontested mark count and one, And then the St Kilda game is the only game this year where we've won the uncontested mark count and gone on to lose the game. Yeah. Well, I guess what are the, some of the other factors that you think have affected the increase in
1: uncontested marks in these last few weeks?
0: Yeah, there's three variables for me. And it's because of each of these that I'm not too concerned that it's going to be a problem for us. And I'm not even sure it's something that's going to get continued and uh, or continue and it's got nothing to do whether uh, we've won or lost the first one our uncontested mark numbers have increased significantly since Darcy Parish went down injured and, and then compounded further by Setterfield going out a week later I think there's a, a short-term element in this we we are a relatively high possession team anyway but I think we're, we've increased that to to protect our defense and reduce the number of stoppages or contests that eventuate when you kick the ball longer whilst we're missing a couple of our senior contested ball winners. And, and you know, the data and the parallels um, suggest that's very much the case. Secondly, I think there's an, an element of adapting to what the opposition does really well. Brisbane and North Melbourne are really good at stoppages. We haven't been. And Richmond have that forward surge, get the ball forward by any means, hack it forward and, and take territory that way. And I think what that meant is we've just controlled, uh, implemented a controlled possession style of game to take the opposition strengths away from them or, or, or limit their effectiveness. So and I think that's also seen an increase in in the number of incontested mar- uncontested marks, sorry, that we've taken. And then the third one is we haven't had Peter Wright for the whole season. And then more recently Harrison Jones. So we've not had the luxury of having multiple marking targets up the ground to kick to and and either take a contested mark or bring the ball to ground. So uh, yeah, I yeah, I think it's a I'll watch this space. I'll probably have people with more questions than answers, but I I don't think it's a cause for concern. I don't think it's setting us up to play a guy a style of footy that's not going to stack up in finals and those kind of things. I think it's it's quite situational, and and I think where what it is showing is that a our coaches are prepared to adapt the way that we play based on our opposition, which is something that we haven't been good at in the past. And it gives us something in our kick bag, kit bag, sorry, that we can call upon in in a game or in situations in games that require it. And, and I think that's only a good thing for us as well. Yeah, well, great thoughts there, mate. Really. Appreciate you going in depth there. Um, also,
1: again, thanks to Lil's Max 72 and, and Silvertop Hurley for your questions there. Um, and again, we'll, we'll be looking to get through the rest of those questions that were sent to us across the next couple of weeks. Well, look, let's turn our attention to our opponents this week. And with 2023 being the 30-year reunion of the Baby Bombers Premiership, hopefully for us that's a good omen heading into Sunday's game. Let's take a look at where Carlton are at. And if you think back to our match against them last year, it was also in round 13 um, during the public holiday weekend, although it wasn't the King's birthday eve as they're trying to turn this game into. Uh, After Carlton won that game, they were fourth on the ladder with nine wins and three losses and had a percentage of 114.9. Since that night, across the rest of 2022 and the start of 2023, They've won seven, lost 14, and drawn one with a percentage of 97%. Uh, And they're currently sitting 14th on the ladder for this year. So they've been losing a lot of games, Not, not terribly by much, as you can tell by that percentage, but they've been finding it really difficult to win games across the last year. If you look at their results this year, they had the draw in the opening match against Richmond. They defeated Geelong in in round two and and their other wins have come against the Giants, North and West Coast. Uh, Their losses have have come to Adelaide, St Kilda, Brisbane, the Bulldogs, Collingwood, Sydney and Melbourne. So other than Geelong in round two, uh, all their wins have come against sides in the bottom bottom four. So, you know, nothing too impressive there. And even Geelong really started slowly this year before kicking into gear um, around round four. And the biggest issue for Carlton so far this year has been their inability to score. They're averaging 77 points per game, which is the fourth lowest of any side in the competition. And their average scores in losses is only 58.14. And that's the worst in the competition for any side. Although the average score against in losses is only 86. And and this is the second best in the competition after Richmond. So they're really struggling to score. But... On the other hand, they're also holding up well defensively um, overall for points against their their fifth, and that's something we're going to talk about a little bit more um, in, a, in a second. Um, if you consider the way that they're playing, that they're playing virtually identical to last year. If, if you go by their kick-to-handball ratio, uh, it's around 1.45 for both years. Um, something they've been quite good at is limiting opposition's effectiveness going inside 50. They're the best in the comp at that. Their opponents only go at 45.19% when they go inside 50. So that's been a key reason why they've been so uh, restrictive at opposition scores. Um, And another strength for them is contested marking. They take uh, two and a half contested marks per game more than their opponents, and that's the best of any side. So there are still some strengths to Carlton that should give them opportunities to uh, be successful, um, particularly coming up against us.
0: Yeah, I think one of the main things that I found really interesting watching them this year and and having a look at some of their numbers is something that was a real strength for them last year hasn't been the case this year. They were ranked sixth and third for centre and stoppage clearances or clearance differential last year those um, those same metrics have dropped to 15th and 8th this year. So, yeah, they were really, really strong in, in clearance in, in 2022, and, and that's not been the case this year. And at an individual level, Patrick Cripps, who, who obviously won the Brownlow, he was 5th, in the AFL for centre clearances and stoppage clearances in 2022. His stoppage work has still been strong this year. He's ranked third, but he's dropped down to 12th in the AFL for centre clearances. So he's just not winning uh, the number of those that he was last year. And then he's not getting much help. Last year they had Hewitt, 37th, Walsh, 53rd, Kennedy, 67th, and Chera, 74th for total clearances in 2022. Chera's the only one there that has improved. He's he's gone from 74th to 42nd, but Hewitt, Walsh, and Kennedy uh 80th, 92nd, and 99th. So they've sort of dropped off um quite substantially in, in the number of clearances there. they're winning. Granted, Walsh has missed a fair bit of footy. Um they're playing a bit more of a high possession game and, and have positive differentials for contested and uncontested position, uh, possession, sorry, um, and as well as ranked third overall for marks. But as you've touched on, it's not really translating into scores. and in, in fact, it's not even translating into inside 50s. They rank 14th for inside 50s and 12th for scores once they get it in there. You touched on it though, mate. What what they are good at is preventing scores, fifth in the AFL for points conceded and number one for scores conceded per inside 50. So, so they, they concede the least number of scores per inside 50 that they concede in the AFL we're third for scores per inside 50. So we score uh, at the third highest frequency when we do get it in there. So we'll see one of the, the better equipped defensive teams, at, at least on paper, uh, against one of the better equipped offensive teams. What what do you make of that, mate? Yeah, the way you've described it there, it's it sounds a bit like the uh,
1: unstoppable force versus the immovable object when it comes to first defense there. So we'll see how that goes. But I, I look at it from another perspective. How much of the fact that they're defending well is really coming down to the fact that they're really risk-averse, particularly the last few weeks. They seem to be a club that's been playing, almost trying not to lose too big rather than trying to take the game on and win it. Um, Something that remind me of is is where we were at last year after that first Sydney game where we were really just trying to stem the bleeding. We, We actually became pretty good at restricting our opponent's scores in that little period after the Sydney game, but we weren't also giving ourselves a chance to win so, be interesting to see if they decide to go on a more attacking front. You know, opening up the risks that they get scored against, which, given the way that we play, may open up opportunities for us. But you know, taking the the foot the foot off the brake um, could also you know give them a bit more opportunities to to put a score on the board
0: and and, and challenge us. Yeah, it's a good point. And there's been a bit of that talk around, hasn't there, about Carlton trying to open the game up this week and and be a bit more attacking and, and be a bit more free flowing, and and then yeah, you're you're right that that brings in another risk. We we've done another uh, done a pretty good job this year of of setting up our back fifty as we've spoken about, and and turned our ability to intercept and win the ball back in our in our back half into scores going the other way. So. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Is this the week that that Michael Voss and his coaches are prepared to take a risk to potentially open themselves up to get well beaten to try and win, or do they go with, you know, more of uh, of what they've been doing but try to refine it to get a better outcome? It'll be really interesting. Uh, we've talked a little bit about what's changed for Carlton in terms of their profile of of game style. What about list wise? Has much changed there?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the big in for Carlton was Blake Akers. Um, he's uh, someone who's actually been putting out career best numbers this year since since the trade for Fremantle, so that's been a win for them. Uh, their first-round draft pick, Ollie Hollands, played the first 11 games before unfortunately suffering a broken collarbone, so he'll miss uh, the next few weeks. Um, they also got a bit out of their second rounder in, in Lockie Cowan, who hasn't been seen since round six. So that he's made the extended bench this week. Um, and also their supplementary selection, Alex Chincotta, um, has also featured in the last few weeks. Um, in terms of outs, obviously, from an SM perspective, they traded Will Setterfield to us. Uh, Liam Stocker was also delisted and then picked up by the Saints and he's playing pretty good football there. Um, you know a few more outs including uh Jack Nunes, who played 16 games for them in, in 2022 but other than that a few of a lower end players on their list uh were delisted as well so not a huge changes in their in their list profile and, and sometimes that that can lead to stagnation in insides where you're not really getting that fresh blood in so that also could contribute in some way to, to why they haven't really pushed on this year.
0: Yeah, that, that Akers pickups are a really interesting one. And again, I hope I'm not tempting fate here because they certainly needed that outside run to to complement what last year was a, a a pretty good contested ball winning team. Uh but Akers isn't a great kick. So and and he's not overly quick either. So he, he probably hasn't given them the extra pace and, and foot skills that they they were looking for. I'm sure they would have known that um, when they uh, acquired him, but yeah, a, as it stands, they've sort of lost that contested ball. And and without that, that they haven't got the run and, and the carry and, and the foot skills to, to sort of fall back on. So um, yeah, I mean, this isn't a Carlton show though, mate, so we won't break down their, their list too much uh, or, or any further than that at all. Yeah. We'll, we'll just touch quickly on what happened last time. I,
1: I did bring it up a bit earlier, but uh, round 13, 2022, again, so basically a year ago uh, this weekend, uh, Carlton, 12-8-80, defeated Essendon, 7-12-54. Um, as I said, it was right in that post-Sydney game where we were really trying to to limit the damage that other teams could do. And um, even then, Carlton really controlled the ball around the ground all night. They had 58 more uncontested possessions and took 33 more marks, um, and generated 53 points from turnover as opposed to Essendon's 32. So that pretty much made up most of the difference in the margin there. And, and you know, that, that lead in uncontested possessions meant that the, the top five possession getters were all Blues players. So Doherty led the way with 33, as well as uh, 700 metres gained. Uh, Shield had 27 and Merritt, 26 for the Bombers. But, yeah, it was one of those, one of those games I remember back that, you know, we weren't in any danger of, of getting blown away, but we never
0: really felt a realistic chance of winning. Yeah, that was obviously a big night of our one hundred fiftieth anniversary or birthday or whatever we want to call it celebration. So it was, um, yeah, it was a better defensive performance from us, wasn't it? But um, but yeah, look, it, it's a interestingly very different Essendon this time around, and and a very different Carlton this time around. So I, I think uh, it probably doesn't paint too much of a picture of what we might expect on Sunday night. Yeah. Well, what might paint more of a picture is the selection that's come out
1: this evening. And once again, the good old extended bench is back to make fools of both of us in about 24 hours uh, when all the thoughts that we're going to say now are are rendered moot. Um, Look, let's start with the Blues. So for for them, uh, in comes Ed Curnow, Jack Martin, Lockie Fogarty, Lockie Cohen and Mark Pitney, uh, Lockie O'Brien and Zach Fisher are out um, Their extended bench is Fogarty, Dow, Kennedy, Motlop, Cottrell, Silvani, Cowan, and Young. Um, so Pitney and Curnow, uh and Martin are all named on the field. So you would expect all those ins to play for them and then picking from that extended bench. And there's a couple of things that really stand out there. I think they've brought Pitney back. Um, and that means that, you know, with De Koenig also playing, they're going to have a pretty tall forward line um, with one of the Ruckman as well as Kerno and Mackay down there. Um, that's something that they potentially could take advantage of. Obviously, we don't have the tallest key position defenders. Uh, but again, when you've got such a tall forward line, there's also an opportunity there when it comes to rebounding. You would imagine that Carlton's forward pressure isn't going to be super strong with with three tall forwards down there. I think the other one with Ed Kerno back and, and the job that Shields did after quarter time on Merritt last week, you know, you would expect that Kerno probably goes to Merritt uh, at some stages of the game to try and keep him out of it. Cause I think Carlton would probably look at him as being their major threat to
0: um, taking the game away from them. Yeah. I, I'd putting you know, pretending I'm in the Essendon coaches box here. I'd, I'd be pretty happy if, uh, if Curnow does end up in the 22 and does go to Zach Merritt. He, he's good at it, uh, don't get me wrong. But I think Zach has shown that he he has got an ability to work through a tag now a, a lot better than he has previously. And, and um, you know, I, I think there's a, a little bit of an overstatement of how effective Shields was last week. Zach had 16 disposals in the first quarter. He was probably unlikely to repeat that every quarter going forward and, and still, you know, had six or seven a quarter thereafter. So he, he was still pretty effective after quarter time. Um what it does do though is is it takes a ball winner out of their midfield and and puts someone in who's pretty much purely a negating player. He he's not someone that that can stop and get a lot of ball and use it really well. So I I I'd be happy for them to to run with that because it, it puts even more pressure on their other midfielders to to win clearance and I I think it has the potential to work to our advantage. I picked up something too, mate. Um Zach Merritt was mic'd up and it got played on on Fox, um a couple of the Fox programs. There was a bit where he he went into the midfield at the start of a center bounce and said to to the other midfielders, I'll take Shields away and let you guys crack in. And it just showed again a, a real maturity in, in his game that he's prepared to sacrifice his game and 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 take a, a player away from the stoppage or away from the contest to make it uh easier for his teammates. So I I've got no problem if if that happens. Um yeah they brought Pitney back as you said and, and and they've they've gone pretty tall. So again um they'd be trying I, I imagine to try and expose us down back. Um, but if if we restrict them from getting the ball in there, uh and and we can put pressure on and, and win it back, then they also don't have a lot of pressure coming out. And and I think they're ranked seventeenth or eighteenth for for inside 50 tackles as well. So um uh, yeah, a little bit of a roll of dice there, I think, with both of those moves if it if it eventuates that the way it looks that it might.
1: Yeah. Well look, let's turn our attention to Essendon and, and there's some pretty big ins for the bombers. Uh Obviously, the big uh, name is Peter Wright back for his first game of the year. Uh, Jake Kelly also returns after a few weeks out with concussion. Uh, Brian and Wanganine have also been named. Uh, Dylan Shield is out. I think there's pretty much a certainty after what Scott said at his presser, followed by the reports that Scheel didn't complete training Um they're are really going to not let him play unless he's 100 fit now, which I think is the right call. Uh, if you look at the extended bench, uh, currently down is Snelling, Hind, Brian, Kelly, Phillips, Wanganine, Dambrosio, and Menzi. As I said, um, it's fantastic to see right right back. It, it sounds like he could have played last week, but they held him back to make sure he was right to go. And it's our first chance to see what I'm going to be coining the right wiedemann com- combo, um, the the right combo. Um, hopefully, this is going to take some of the pressure off Sam and, and allows him to get some confidence back because I think, you know, from the Richmond game onwards, he, he's sort of lost a bit of the confidence that he, that he developed, um, particularly
0: after say the Geelong game where we kicked five goals. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I've said this a few times, but I've well and truly given up on on trying to work out who will be our, our final team. Is it as simple as as Wright and Kelly come in for Sheel and Hind? Is Snelling a, a chance to make way and and, and allow Dan to be promoted? Given he's been the sub a couple of weeks in a row now and had a real impact when he came on on late, you, you'd imagine he wouldn't be sub three weeks in a row. Um, could Hind, you know, drop out and become that sub? Given that he's he's been pretty good at that in the past. What what's your guess, mate? Yeah, well,
1: look. When, when the word came that, that Wright was going to be coming back in over the past couple of weeks, I wasn't expecting them to, to keep the two ruckmen, uh, in the side. I expected that you would have a situation where Wiedemann would take the second ruck duties. Um, however, with Carlton going with, with two, um, both their ruckmen are named on the field. It wouldn't surprise me to see Phillips keep his spot, um, just so that they're not exposed when the second Ruckman go goes into it and potentially start losing clearances because of that. Uh, I think Wanganin's naming is just reward for the good form he showed in the VFL last week. I, I can't see him playing, but again, we're probably going to be made to look fools of in, in 24 hours. Um, with Sheil out, I also don't think they can afford to drop Snelling. He has been taking some midfield minutes with the regulars out of the side and no Shield. and then you take Snelling out of it. You, you're looking at a lot of pressure on Merritt obviously and then Caldwell, Stringer, Hobbs and then Perkins becomes that that fifth midfielder and as much as we'd like to see him take on more of a midfield responsibility I don't think he's quite ready for that so I think Snelling there gives them some flexibility in terms of midfield minutes so I expect him to play um, I also think we're at the point where Massimo either plays a full game or is dropped um, he's been great at sub these past two weeks but he really needs to get full games into him to develop so if they don't ha- have a spot for him in the 22. um, I would be playing him in the VFL this week. I wouldn't be having him as the sub. And you sort of suggest at the start, we'll back around to what you said. I think Kelly in hind moves to the sub and then D'Ambrosio, you know, unfortunately for him goes and plays VFL and and tries to force his way, I would say into the best 22.
0: Yeah, I, that's probably my read on it, mate. Um and now I fully expect it'll be something completely different when the A when the final team is announced uh, at five o'clock tomorrow and then when uh, an hour before the game on Sunday night when when there's a late change or two. Yeah. Well look, let's move on to Carlton's last game. And you
1: know that they played out a dower affair uh last Friday night. Uh Melbourne 61 defeated Carlton six eight forty-four. Um so it's a wayward night for both sides, but despite the margin only being 17 points, it never really felt like Melbourne was in danger of losing. Uh, the the break between the two sides never got closer than 10 points from the end of the first quarter. So Melbourne sort of kept them at arm's length for the entirety of the game. And Melbourne really dominated around the ground, but couldn't turn that into goal. So Melbourne had nine more clearances, 29 more contested possessions and seven more intercepts. And despite the demons having 50 more possessions, they also out-tackled the blues. So they were up 54 to 43 in that scenario. So they really did a job on them, and it, the 17-point margin probably didn't reflect the dominance that Melbourne had in that game. And uh, of the top four Carlton possession winners, Incerro, Doherty, Cripps, and Walsh, none of them had more kicks and handballs. So they really demonstrated the, the pressure that Melbourne put them under. And I think the one positive for Carlton out of that game was Mackay did return to some form. He, he kicked three goals, uh, but he also he was their only multiple
0: goal kicker that, that really struggled to find avenues to goal that night. Yeah, I think one of those goals was probably a ball that he was looking to pass as well and it got over the back of the contest and rolled through and then, you know, he kicked the one from the boundary, didn't he, which is kind of his bread and butter really and and then missed some some ones that you'd expect a, a key forward uh, and a common medal winner to be able to kick. But I, I thought Carlton did a couple of things well. They they looked to play on more, partic- particularly in the first half of the game, but then uh, you know, that also led to, you know, them handballing a fair bit more, as you pointed to, that they, they just didn't have the, um, uh, I guess the system and the uh, the ability to really turn that over into, or turn that into territory and, and and to scores. I thought their forwards also did a pretty good job of spreading and getting separation. They they typically kept one of their tools deep. So like De Kooning was uh, as well, uh, you know, also got forward and, and pressed quite deep and, they set up in a way that should have made it hard for Melbourne defenders to intercept, not too dissimilar to how we went about it against them. But their ball use inside 50 was just really, really poor. And And I imagine if you're a Carlton forward that you would have been pretty frustrated at the end of the game with, with some of the delivery that they were getting.
1: Yeah. Well, let's turn our attention to Sunday night's match. And I think the first thing that stands out to me is that we, we brought Setterfield to the club for matches like these where we needed a bigger body to, to play on players like Patrick Cripps. Now, with Setterfield out, uh, a lot of pressure really does fall on, on Jake Stringer to, to take that defensive role on at at stoppage. And something he's actually done quite well. He's, he's been really sacrificial and it's been really pleasing to see him play a team game. Do you think he's going to have to play the role to try and negate Cripps this week?
0: Yeah, I think so, mate. I think Jake's done a really good job of this over the past month anyway. So it's not going to be too much of a a change for him and I think we'll need him to do it again. But I think what might be different this week or at least how I'd approach it is we've seen him push forward after the centre clearance most of the time uh, more recently. I think here we, we need him to play a bit more as a genuine midfielder this week, similar to what we saw from him against Geelong. I think... We'll need his size to restrict Cripps' access to the footy, which is what he's been doing more recently. But we're going to need that at stoppage as well as the the set of bounce. So I think if he can play as a bit more of a genuine midfielder and, and play one-on-one on Cripps, I think it gives us the best opportunity to – win contested ball and clearances ourselves. And then that goes a long way to minimising Carlton's ability to get the ball inside 50 on a regular basis and, and get good supply to their big forwards, which is obviously the big risk for us. I think a lot of what we we do on Sunday night has got to be about how we reduce effective ball inside 50 to their big forwards. The other thing too is Cripps isn't great at defending. He he won't give uh he, he won't chase a lot. He he won't put a lot of pressure on. He he sort of wins the ball or he doesn't. And I think giving a player like Jake Stringer uh, or a, a matchup like Jake Stringer gives him something that he's gonna to have to really think about. It's gonna throw them off if they do bring Kerno into tag Zach Merritt, how do they then approach Stringer if he gets away from from Cripps? It gives him a matchup that he he can really exploit. And I think when he does push forward Crips is pretty unlikely to go with him, and and they'll have to organise a handover, which again, I think can derail um, some of their plans. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be playing Jake as a as pretty much an out and out midfielder this week, and and with Wright back in the forward line too. Then then that gives us a bit more flexibility up there um, to to not have to rely on Jake to to be a goal kicker too frequently.
1: Yeah.
0: One strength that Carlton do have is, is the role that Adam
1: Saad plays, and you know he he takes on a lot of. Carlton's ability to move the ball quickly now, especially with, with Zach Williams out. Um, do you agree that that Saad's probably one of the key players to stop? And, and do you see someone playing a role to limit him? Is there anyone that you would put on him on Sunday night?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, Sam Docherty is a player that's had big games against us previously. You talked about him when you referenced the game last year, but yeah, as a rule, I think Adam Saad's their, their one real point of difference. They don't have a lot of outside speed and a lot of really good kicks in their team and 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 I know essence supporters like to pretend that Adam Sard's not, but but he is but genuinely both of these. he's really good with uh with the ball by foot. The other thing when he's up and about is a real barometer for them. He brings the crowd into it. He brings teammates into into it. So I I think he is someone that we have to give some focus and attention to. I think Brisbane showed the way a few weeks ago for me, mate. They were really physical with him. They made sure that at every contest he had body on body. Anytime someone ran past him, they gave him a little bit of a bump or a nudge and and just made it really uncomfortable for him. There's not a lot you can get away with these days. Obviously, the, the game's been sanitized a fair bit in that regard for, for the better but uh, I think the way Brisbane went about it was a bit of a, a blueprint so uh, we've spoken before how difficult it can be to get a favorable matchup in your own forward line and, and you know tagging a, a halfback flanker can lead to you taking away from your own structure and we need to be mindful of that but We've got some guys who have some tools to be able to do that. The, the likes of Snelling and, and Guelfi and, and Menzi, guys who are prepared to get their hands dirty. I think they just need to make it a real grind for Adam Saad, make it hard for him, make it uncomfortable. And then the other one... It, I think that can hurt him is is when Perkins gets that match up but he won't follow Perkins too often into the corridor so I think we can also hurt him that way um when we're moving forward so it's kind of twofold make put pressure on him put body on him make him uncomfortable and then also look to use his man uh, at times as well to to hurt him the other way
1: yeah
0: well, any other areas you think we can get some ascendancy in the match yeah I think the really big one for me mate, if if we can do a good job of holding our own in clearances and stoppages is the damage that our wingers can do. Nick Martin and and Sam Durham have been in really, really good form. Martin's impact has been well spoken about and, and documented and, you know, he's been put up in lights over the last couple of weeks. But what both of our wingers should get credit for is their ability to work both ways. Nick Martin's third at Essen for defensive half, half pressure acts and he's fourth for total pressure acts. So he's not just doing it with the ball and, and kicking goals and, and setting goals up. He's he's defending really well and, and putting on pressure. That's not something you typically get from Carlton's wingers, you know, the likes of Walsh and Akers. They'll, they'll play a fair bit of Russian roulette in the way they like to, to sit outside the contest, although in Walsh's case, he can get sucked in towards it. Um, uh, they'll they'll run forward of the ball a little bit, so I think there's a real opportunity for both of our wingers to exploit that. They get they'll get an opportunity to be the outlet for us on turnover. Walsh and Acres in particular aren't good at turning from offense to defense really quickly, um, and I think that can get us into the corridor. Something that Nick Martin's obviously really good at either either by presenting as an option in the corridor or by getting the ball in there by foot himself. So. I think uh, that could be a real weapon for us. And and then I think they'll also get opportunities to to get forward and score and, and and cause some chaos in that part of the ground there.
1: Yeah, well, I think we're all hoping for another great Nick Martin performance. It's been a, a few good weeks there from him. And he's by some metrics, he's the best winger in the in the competition. So hopefully that remains a, a strength for us uh, going into Sunday night. Well, we'll head into our, our final thought. And I, I just want to ask you, Is the outcome of this game going to be more dependent on how we play or how Carlton play?
0: Yeah, good question. I think think it's going to predominantly be about how we play. I, I think we've got the tools to be able to beat them in a grind that they created through the way that they played against Melbourne. But I also think we've got the tools to beat them if they turn it into a shootout in a similar way to the game against Geelong albeit I don't think Carlton quite have the the foot skills through the midfield to be able to do what Geelong did to us so I uh, yeah I think either way if we're true to the way that we've been playing in terms of um of of how we've structured up our defence and and um and we can get an even performance from our midfielders in terms of the contest, then yeah, I, I think it's going to be largely about that. We we just have to make sure that we don't have those lapses in concentration that we had against North, because for all of their woes, Carlton have some weapons that can expose that to a greater level than North Melbourne did. Yeah, well, look, it's a game
1: I'm really looking forward to, and it's it's going to be our last game for a couple of weeks. So really hope we can, we can go into that bye with, with, our fourth win on the trot, and as as you say, with a whole heap of momentum heading into the final part of the season, uh, that's going to wrap us up for tonight. Any final words from you, Jono?
0: No, it's a real prize for us, isn't it, mate? To be able to go into the buy at eight and five, and and if you look at you know Touchwood, we we keep the, the the a healthy list this week, and and we get some players back after the buy, and and um, yeah, we're we're in a really strong position to to move into the second half of the year. So I'm looking forward to it too. And yeah, we're well overdue for a win against these guys. So let's hope we can um, we can get the job done and, and enjoy the rest of the long weekend thereafter.
1: Yeah, it, it's been a few years now. And, and as I said earlier, hopefully we can channel the spirit of the Baby Bombers and, and get it done for the 30th anniversary there. Look, that's it. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening and participating in conversations with us. We love it.
0: Um, other than that, uh, stay safe and go Dons.